morning. A little bit of rain again, but that is good. We need it to wetten up a little bit. So hopefully uh, you enjoy the Veterans Weekend. And um, I know a Memorial, they always say it's not to always recognize those that um, are still alive, but I like to recognize both those that have gone and those that are here. So um, thank you for all of that. We're going to continue through our walk worthy. We're going to be in Ephesians 4 again. And as we talked um, last week, um, our walk is very important for what God has called us to do. And he has called us to have a walk worthy of the calling that he has on our life. So he's called us for a purpose. He's called us for a reason. And then he tells us to maintain unity, not to uh, produce it, but to maintain it, which really means guard it. And we find out that when we follow scripture, the way scripture teaches us that it makes for relationships that are so appealing uh, that others want to also have what we have. And that's the question. Uh, is our life really um, creating something that people are going to crave after? So we are ambassadors of Christ and our life needs to be a reflection of that. And I've been listening to Alistair Begg this past week and He's uh, left a couple messages on legacy, the legacy that we leave. You know, what are you known for? What will you be remembered for in your life? And it's sort of an important thing to, to think about. I would encourage you, if you listen to podcasts, to uh, maybe tune into that. But in God's uh, sovereignty, we need to understand that he has equipped us for everything that we need in our life. He has given us everything in our life to do the work that he has called us to do. And so the question is, is are you doing that? You know, there's a story of a, of a baby camel that was asking mom questions. And the baby camel asked mom, Mom, why do I got these three big soft pads on each of my feet? And she said, well, son, as we trek through the desert on long journeys, they help us to stay up on top of the sand, and they're soft and pliable, so they... Uh, conform to the ground that's below us. He asked another question a little while later, and he says, Mom, why do we have such long eyelashes? Again, she said, as we make those long treks through the desert, it keeps the sand from getting into our eyes so we can see where we are going. And then a little while later, he asked a third question, and Mom's getting a little bit irritated. We know how that is when the little ones are asking questions all the time. Mom, why do we got these big humps on our back. She says, well, that's to store water. So when we're making these long journeys across the desert that are difficult, we can pull our water reserve from there. Finally, he asked his mom, Mom, why are we in the zoo? So we can look at that and we can say, maybe too many of us are like camels in the zoo. God has given us and equipped us to be in the world and doing the things that he has called us to do. He has given us gifts and talents and abilities. And he wants us to be users of those. He doesn't want us to be like these camels in the zoo that have all the resources to make these long treks through the desert. But they're going to waste. We can liken our journey in this earth as going through life or going through a a desert or going through difficulties in life and 
And it's not always easy, but God has given us and equipped us to do these things. Too many of us play it safe. And we fail to put ourselves in positions to use those God-given gifts and talents in keeping with God's purpose in our life. One of the things in the world today, and we're going to talk about this at the end, is we've become a a self-centered society, a self-centered even within the church. And so we get more consumed and more um, really uh, just flooded with what do I want to do? What is it that, that I need? And as we talk about the body of Christ and as we talk about this walk that is uh, worthy, we got to think about how has God intertwined us with one another to help one another, to encourage one another, to hold each other accountable, to confront one another in truth and with the right attitude. We walk in a manner worthy of our calling as we speak the truth in love. And so I'm going to jump ahead a little bit and chapter 4 to 14 through 16. It says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth and love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. See, in this world where we say, you know, I'm my own man, there's nobody going to tell me what to do, I'm gonna, I got the agenda, I got my goals, I got my, my life all mapped out and all planned out, God says there's a better way. The Bible tells us there is a way that seems right unto a man, but its end is destruction. We have many in the world today that, that chase after these dreams. We think of the parable of the, of the rich farmer who built bigger and bigger barns to store all of his stuff. And, and God finally came to him and said, you fool, tonight your life is going to be required of you. You know, as the saying goes, we've brought nothing into this world and there's certainly nothing that we are going to take out of it. And so God speaks through his word and says, you know, there's a, there's a better way. There's a better plan. I have something that I have designed you for. I have something that I have created you to do. And it involves the church. And it involves being part of the body of Christ. You know, a lot of people like to talk, well, I'm part of the universal church. Well, I can go out in the woods and I can worship God under a tree or out on a lake. And you can. You can worship God wherever you're at. But that doesn't negate that Christ instituted the church for a purpose and the church for a reason. And it's not the building, but it's us. It's the people that come here. We have become way too complacent with valuing what the church is, what the local body is, coming together as his people. You know, during the COVID time, and it was a difficult time for a lot, But people got used to sitting at home and and watching TV or listening to this. And they got out of the habit of coming to church. And they're missing the fellowship. They're missing the most important aspects of the body. And so in our walk that is worthy, it needs to be a walk that is seen by others. Not for our glory, but for His glory. Is your walk, is your life being an example to those who are looking upon you? 
Because we talked last week about maintaining the unity, right? Which really means to guard. We guard the unity. The unity isn't something we produce, but it's something that God has already created and, and produced. And we guard that with truth. As the body matures through the faithful service of its members. Okay, so that's you and I. We're members of this body. We're members of the church. We find that we are less likely to be drawn into those crafty things, into those deceitful schemings of others. And I'm talking about in the church. We know it's out in the world, but this is even in the church these things happen. These things come about. And they shouldn't. Satan is at work just as much, if not more, within the church than he is even in the world. He owns the world. The world's not living for Christ, so he has no battle really going on out there. But in here where we're struggling, and here where we're trying to figure it out, and here where we're dealing with our will and his will, and we're wanting to be what we profess that we are, Satan is alive and active. And so it's like going down the road. It's like when I drive, Julie gets a little um, upset with me once in a while because sometimes if there's something, I'll be look, I may look on my phone at something. It's just get your eyes on the road. Or I'm driving down and there's, there's deer and I'm looking there or I cross over Eau Claire River and I always got to look up and down because it's beautiful to look at. Get your eyes on the road. She always wants my eyes on the road because she knows it's the best thing. She knows it's the safest thing. She knows it's where we need to be. She doesn't want to end up in a ditch upside down. But the devil does the same thing. And he does it with Christians. He gets us sidetracked. He gets us looking at other things that we shouldn't be looking at. He gets us distracted with this event that's going on here or, or this thing over here. And sometimes these are real events in our life. They're real things that happen. We have sicknesses in our lives. We have deaths that happen. We have a turmoil in the world. We have all sorts of things that, <clears throat> that are real and that we got to pay some attention to, but we need to pay more attention to Christ. We need to see Christ at work in those things because if Satan can get you sidetracked on something, then your eyes are off of Jesus. And when your eyes are off of Jesus, the chances of an accident are a lot greater. So how does he do that? Well, within a church, he can do it all, all sorts of ways. We can do it with, with music. Music is one of the most divisive things in churches these days. I mean, it's not the gospel, right? False doctrine comes into churches all the time. Some people just sort of accept that music is a divisive issue. So Satan gets you consumed with music. He gets you consumed with maybe a version of the Bible. He gets you consumed with, with this thought or that thought. And we get our eyes off of Jesus. Paul is always saying, keep your eyes on the road. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. And as the body matures through the service of its members, as we grow as a body, as members, each one of us, we're less likely to be distracted because when somebody gets distracted, we just need to ask the question, is your eyes upon Christ? Are you focused upon what he wants? When we pray about stuff, as a board, we look at this and we, we try to um, really uh, promote everything that we do by that. To know Christ and to make him known is what we're doing 
going to help us know Christ more? Is it going to help us to share the gospel more with people? And if it's not of those things, then really we shouldn't be doing it because our eyes need to be on the road. And that road is to grow closer to Christ. I want to grow so close to Christ. And I've had some moments of these in my life where where the presence of God was so strong in my life that it just sort of overwhelmed me. It just sort of, ah, you know, words can't even describe it. It'd be great to have a life like that at all times. But guess what? We get looking here and we get looking there and we get all of a sudden busy in this and busy in that and busy over here and we're missing the the most important things. But as we grow closer to Christ and as we hold one another accountable and as a body, as we move in unity and guard that unity of Christ, we find ourselves with less and less distractions. We learn to function as a body of believers that first works in obedience. Obedience is harder than what you think. Ask any child, right? If you've raised a child, you know that you know, obedience just doesn't come naturally, right? We, as a matter of fact, sometimes our nature is to go against obedience. Well, it's no different for the Christian. God says, love those who persecute you. Or love those that hate you, do good to those who persecute you. Do you do that in your life? That's hard to do. That person did me wrong. They've talked bad about me. They've they've done hurtful things to me in my life. They've lied about me. They've, They've, you know, attacked my character. Whatever it is that we want to bring up, they've stolen from me. The Bible says forgive. The Bible says love. How can you do that? Well, I can't in my flesh. But we can through Christ. We need to walk in obedience. The closer we are to Christ, the easier it becomes to be obedient. He tells us not to gossip, not to lie, not to be a railer, talking bad about others. How often do we find ourselves doing that? It's second nature for some of us. We get on the phone, we get across from somebody having a cup of coffee, and we begin to go down that road, and Christ calls us back into obedience. He says, put those things away from you. So we learn to function as a body by being obedient as a body. We stand on the gospel. We stand on the word of God, because God has given us that for the church. He's given us the pastoral epistles. He's given us the church epistles that we should govern this body and walk in such a way. He has given us the whole word that we might govern our life in such a way. Not to govern others' lives, but to govern our lives. Are you being obedient? Because as we go, so goes the church. And as we know, as goes the church, so goes our communities. And as the communities go, so goes the state. So goes the country, so goes the world. Are we walking and working obediently? Again, James says what? Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Deceiving yourself. You don't think about that, do you? A lot of times you say, well, they tricked me. They fooled me. No, the Bible also talks about us deceiving ourselves because we run after the passions of our heart. We run after the lusts of the flesh. We run after the things that I think are important. 
And I've deceived myself. Sometimes we just think, well, we can just come to church and sit and, you know, I can, I can do a devotion at home and listen to Christian radio and, and, and read my Bible and, and I'm good enough. I'm good enough. Be doers, it says, of the word. That means out into the world, doing the things that God has called us to do. So he's called us as a body to work obediently. And Christ is the head of that body. He's the head of this church. He's the head of the universal church. He's the head of all things. He tells us to work interdependently. That means we depend on others. Okay, we depend on others. My body is interdependent. If I got a, a, a scratch or a niche on my nose, my nose is telling something in my brain that you got a niche. And then my, my brain goes down to my hand to tell my arm to move, my finger to move, and to move it up here in the scratch independently. I can be a picture of the body of Christ. I can be the picture of the local church. This is how we work. We work with one another because I don't have all the tools. I don't have all the answers. And no one here does. And so we need one another. I, I enjoy going to Bible studies and having discussions with other Christians about things because I learn something and I go into each day of my life knowing that I don't have the answers for all things and I want to learn more about God. And so as I did the other day, I met a friend and we had some coffee and we talked about the things of God. And it was interesting and he's bringing up things and I got questions and he's got questions and we exchange thoughts and we exchange scriptures. We talk about ministries and different things that we can do that God would have us to do. And again, he has, a, he has equipped us for all these things. Because I find in my life when I'm burnt out, if I'm starting to get depressed, if I'm starting to get just, you know, uh, antisocial, I usually realize that I'm doing a lot of stuff in the flesh. Because when I'm doing the things of God, I have the energy. Because he's equipped me for that. He's given me everything that I need to do what he has called me to do. So we work obediently. We work interdependently. And then we work collectively. Each one works. All of us do our part to make this church what it is. We, each one of us does what we can do to make our part of this community what it is. We work collectively with one another. We need one another. And we need to let each other know that we do need one another. Sometimes we go so narrow and just think, I don't need anybody. I can do it all myself. And we just, we have that attitude sometimes. I think as a man, I think about that a lot, that I don't need any help. You know, I have a, a future son-in-law remodeling a house, and every now and then he humbles himself, and he asks me to come do it. And I always tell him, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing either. Right? He says, you know more than me, so come out. We work collectively, we figure it out. That's what God's people do. You may not have all the answers, and you don't. And I may not have all the answers, and I don't. But when we work together, we can figure it out. And we can encourage one another collectively to keep our eyes on the road. To keep our eyes on where Christ would have us 
to be. And not to be that camel living in a zoo, just being a spectator as life passes by. Many people say, you know, uh, you know, there's things we don't talk about. We don't talk about politics, religion. And I say, you know, those are the things we really need to talk about. You know, we, we don't like to sometimes do that because why? It's controversial. We don't like that. But in a way, some of those things are a little bit intertwined. Politics sort of guides where this country is going. And even in the sovereignty of God, we understand that God is in ultimate control of everything that goes on. But the, the laws that are made affect you and I. We have to talk about those things. It's part of our life. It's part of our, our daily thing. As, as I was going up, up north this morning, I was listening to the news and I heard about another shooting that <clears throat> happened last night. And my second thought, my first thought was, you know, I felt s sorrow for the families that had lost loved ones. But my next thought was, here's another, uh, you know, piece of ammunition for uh, the politicians to say we got to take away guns you know we, we got to talk about these things we got to discuss some of those things and we got to talk about our faith you know some people say well, I don't want to talk about faith you know because then we argue and causes hard feelings you know what I'd rather have people have hard feelings and maybe hear the truth and make it to heaven than to uh, you know feel all good about themselves here on earth and go to hell you know, we need to speak about our faith. God has called us to share the gospel message with all who will hear. And it's not just once. I mean, I had the gospel message shared with me many, many times before I responded. You know, I had my grandma that was praying for me. I had family members that were praying for me. I had friends in school that were Christians. I wasn't a Christian. But they would pray for me. I remember Bobby used to tell me, I'm praying for you. And I'm like, okay, whatever, you know, do it. You know, and all of a sudden, God had been working on my heart. He had been tilling up the soil. We know what that's like to till up fallow ground, ground that hasn't been turned for a while. It's hard. Nothing grows, and you work it up. We need to speak. We need to work collectively. We need to encourage each other in our walk. So that's accountability. Again, we don't like accountability. I don't want people knowing my business. I'm not going to share nothing with them. I don't want you telling me how I should live or what I should do. But yet that's what the scriptures tell us. And we're to be that to one another. Not in a condemning way, but in an encouraging way. To encourage one another to walk in the gospel message. To encourage one another to walk more godly. Truth matters. Because it exposes falsehood and it exposes error. A lot of people don't want to read the Bible because they're afraid that they're going to have to change. And change gets harder the older we get. I understand that. I'm getting older. It gets harder. I, I get up, I sort of get my routines in, in my head and, and I'm off to the races for the day. But God has something else for us. Truth exposes falsehood and it exposes error. And so we need to share that where we see it. We need to point it out wherever it is. Otherwise, we are just as complacent in that and just as involved in that falsehood that's happening. Did you ever think about that? I just saw a trial of a, a boy up in Russ County who uh, two of his friends had, had uh, and one of the friends had killed their grandparents to get money or possessions or something like that.
And this boy just stood by as his friends did it. He didn't pull the trigger. He didn't do anything like that. But he's in court and he's getting tried for it. And he was found guilty, of course, to a lesser degree because he watched and because he didn't say anything. He could have told him to stop. He could have gone to the police after it happened, but he chose to stay quiet until he was found out. Well, think about us standing before God and how often have we been quiet when we should have said something, when we should have spoken out. You know, D.L. Mo- Moody said this. He said, the best way to show that a stick is crooked is not to argue about it or not to denounce it, but it's to lay a straight stick alongside of it. Right? I can have a stick with a little bend and I can say, this is a straight stick. Larry can say, no, that's, that's, no, that's straight. I don't think it's straight. We can argue about it. We can do this. Find a straight stick and lay it. The gospel message is our straight stick. The gospel message is our plumb line for what is right and what is wrong. And so when people have their excuses for whatever they have their excuses, we can bring the scripture to them. And their argument was no longer with me or with you, but it would be with God in his word. People can disagree with me all the time, and I can say, you know what my opinion is? Somebody might say, I don't really care what your opinion is. But when I say, you know what God's word says? Well, then their argument is with God. And that's where we need to bring it to. So we find that straight stick because Christians are truth tellers. We are called to proclaim the gospel message, which is the truth of God, that it might change lives, that it might change hearts. Those are the the gateways into people knowing more about Christ. We lay down that straight edge of of the word, and we challenge others to conform to it, and we should be doing that as a body of believers. If you see something in me that isn't right, if you see, uh, you know, just like the prayer says, you know, Lord, if there's some evil way in me, if there's something that's not right in me, we shouldn't be afraid to bring that up to one another. We shouldn't. We need to. If I'm talking in a way that I shouldn't talk, if my attitude's in a way that it shouldn't be, if I'm going places that I don't belong, as a Christian, you have a responsibility and a right to come to me and say, you know, according to God's word, that's not right. So we challenge others with that straight edge of God's word. But equally important to sharing the truth is in the attitude that you share it with. So we have, um, I I sort of call them professional fault finders in the churches, which uh, they think that that's their calling, but it's not really a calling in our life. But they like to just point out other people's faults. Well, you know what's wrong with him. You know what's wrong with her. Well, if he didn't do this, if he didn't do that. And we can be very harsh because sometimes we're trying to elevate ourselves by putting others down. So we need to have the right attitude when we do it. And that, tru- that attitude needs to be love. To speak the truth in love. So the easy way that I always like to think about this is it's not so much what you say, but how you say it. Usually if I get irritated with somebody, it's not usually what they're saying, but it's how they're saying it. How they're presenting it. We need to present it in love. We need to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, and we need to speak that truth in love. But it needs to be spoken. 
And so what happens if we don't walk in a manner worthy of this calling? Well, we become an ineffectual church, for one. Individually, we're not doing what God has called us to do, which is an utter failure in our life. I mean, do we understand that in the sovereignty of God, that, that God has, has called you each for a purpose? Now, I want you to think about that, not just today, but I want you to take that with you through the week. God has called you for a purpose. I mean, what, a, what an honor and a privilege. You know, we, we get all excited if a, if a person of notoriety chooses us out and says, you know, I want to I wanna honor you with this special award and you know, Christ has given us a special award. He has given us his blood. He has given us salvation. By grace we have been saved through faith, not of our works. He has given us this, and he didn't do all that so we can just sit back and just watch life go by or so that we just can continue in our worldly ways. He has done that that we might change. And we're not the ones changing ourselves because when we try to change ourselves, it doesn't work. But when he changes us, it changes everything. But do you know that you can fight God and the change that he wants to make in your life? That's why we said one of the important things is we work obediently. Because we have that choice. Like it says in the Old Testament, choose this day whom you will serve. Well, we... We make choices every day in our life to either follow or not to follow, to listen or to not to listen, to be obedient or to be disobedient. So are you hearing God's voice? And he has called us, and what an honor and a privilege, each one of us, as we think about this. An honor and a privilege. I, I talked with a, a longtime friend this week, and uh, He's getting, he's getting older, a little older, and he was trying to put some things in line in case something happens to him and his wife. And uh, he has, uh, they had two regular children and they adopted a child. And one of the children that they adopted um, had just really struggles with alcohol and drugs in their life terribly. And he's really wrestled about, you know, he says, um, he's, he's my son. You know, I know he's adopted, but he's my son. And so in the will, you know how they, they want to leave stuff equally. But he says, I'm really afraid that if I left, left him, you know, so much uh, that, you know, he's just going to blow it on drugs and somebody's going to steal it from him or he's going to be dead or maybe worse yet, he'll get all hide up and kill somebody else or something. He says, I, but I, he says, but I want to leave him something because he's, He's my son, how can we do it? And we talked about some, just some different ways, some different options, maybe through an attorney or whatever, that he could do those things. But I think about that, that adoption. And he's saying, this is my son. And he's talking with his other son, and his, son, his, other, his real children or biological children, they understand that. But what an honor to have somebody that cares enough for you that they, they want what's best for you. And I mean, dad's love is, is for this, is that, and the, the boy's like 30-some years old now, and the boy's, or I think he said almost 40, but the, the father's love is this, is that, you know, I wish there was a way I could get him into treatment, you know, before he would get some of this. I want him to get his portion, but I want him to get the help that he needs. But he's treating him like a real son, and he's treating him with love, 
that he needs. Well, guess what? The Bible tells us that we're adopted. That God has adopted us into his family. And we have full rights. Full rights with him also. So what an honor and a privilege. So we need to walk in that way that is worthy. And I want you to really think about that. The calling God has on your life. What an honor and a privilege that is. To be called a child of God. I mean, we should be walking proud. We should be standing straight, saying, uh, this is what I believe. This is God's word. And, and when these controversial issues come up of abortion or transgender or homosexuality or, or you know, infidelity, all these things, we don't just sort of hang our head and slug away and cover our face and just say, oh, you know, I don't know. How the hell am I going to make their choice? We need to stand up and say those things are wrong. Christ died that we no longer need to be enslaved to those things. He has come to set you free. Do we walk that way? Well, if we don't walk in that way, and if we're not demonstrating the wisdom and the glory of God in our lives within the church, we see a few things happen to the church. And one is we become a divided body. Well, how do we get divided? Because we take our eyes off of Christ. Right? We started that out at the very beginning is that you know we need to keep our eyes on Jesus, and when we keep our eyes on Jesus, we guard that unity. That unity is is right at the beginning of, of chapter four. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were calling, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. That's the unity that we protect. And if everybody's eyes remain on their we stay there, but this, what does Satan say? Get your attention on a music. Get your attention on a building. Get your attention on somebody's dress. Get your attention on the color of the room that you're in. Get your attention on this and that, and all of a sudden we, we have these divisions because we're not walking in a way that's worthy of God. So we become a divided body. We become a self-centered body. It all becomes about what I want. I don't come there, you know, a lot of times when you talk to people about why they come to a church or why they don't go to a church, well, you know, they don't, they don't have this program for the kids. They don't have this or, you know, I, I like this type of music. I like whatever. They have all these things. It's very seldom do you hear them say, the word isn't preached. In, in the New Testament, the most important thing was that the gospel was proclaimed. The rest of it was just side stuff. The most important thing was, was there doctrine being preached? And so we become a self-centered body. What am I getting out of church? What am I getting out of this relationship? What am I getting out of this friendship? That's the world today. I'll be, I'll be friends with Larry as long as he does stuff for me. But if he doesn't, I don't have time for that. That's the world today. Self-centered. What can I get out of things? And then we become an unstable body. Again, it talks a little bit lower. You know, not to be, we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by trickery of men and by this and that. We become unstable. All of a sudden we have this group over here and that group over here and this group over here. You know, one of the, the saddest things that I've ever seen is is concerted efforts to destroy ministry. We just saw this 
up north at the church that we're helping where a bunch of people got together and they said, after this Sunday, we're leaving and we're going to start our own church. Their intent was to destroy the church that they were just sitting in the Sunday before. And they could say, well, no, that wasn't our... Your actions speak louder than your words. When you get a group of people that take off and say, we're no longer going to be a part of this, and they go on, it becomes self-centered, it becomes unstable, they become divided. That's not God's plan. That's not God's desire. We're married to one another. We're a church family here. I think it's great. I love each one of you. You don't always like what I have to say, probably. You don't always like what I do. Maybe I don't always like what you say or do. Maybe we bump heads every now and then. But we are family. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Isn't that a great thing to be? I don't know where I'd be without a church family. I really don't. Such an encouragement, such a blessing that God has for us. And so I have a responsibility to walk worthy of that calling that God has called me to. As a pastor, as a friend, as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather, I have a responsibility and I have a calling from God placed on my life to walk worthy of what he has called me to. Do you have that in your life? Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that you have called us to be truth-tellers. And sometimes, Lord, we are so concerned with being right that we sometimes neglect bringing you into the situation. Our attitude can be wrong. Our disposition can be wrong. Lord, help us this week to take part of this message with us, Lord. Help us not to be camels in a zoo or Christians in a play. We have everything that we need to live the way that God intended. Help us not to play it safe. Help us to be bold in our faith. There's a saying in the world that you only go around once. And as we look at that, even from a Christian perspective, we're in this life one time. And you've given us opportunities and you've given us privileges. So Father, help us to keep walking in your purpose. Bless us now as we go through this week. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.